Good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. I'm so delighted that uh, I get to worship with you all in the first um, Sunday ever since I returned to the States. And um, while I was back in Japan uh, for a month, I was able to spend my time with my family members and listen to a lot of um, music that I love. I used to be in a band for so many years. I wanted to be a professional electric guitarist, so I was uh, playing guitar all the time through my youth. And, um, and I came across a very interesting research, which was analysis of every single lyrics of the past 50 years of um, American popular music. And there was this one word that was constantly ranked as number one, as the most used word throughout the ages of popular music history. And what do you think that word is? Well, you probably guessed it. The word is love. It's the one word that captures our imagination across time, a word that we hear every day in the media, and a word that everyone always talks about, but a word that we don't really know what it really means. One of my favorite pop songs is called To You by a Japanese band called Mr. Children. And I especially love the chorus, which goes like this. Ai, honto no imi wa wakaranai kedo. Isn't that great? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, too bad that you can't understand Japanese. But uh, it translates into English like this. Oh, love. Although nobody knows its true meaning. This lyric stuck me as so representative of our popular imagination that love is something so precious, so important, that something that we all need, but something we don't really know what it means. And people across generations have sought for answers to this question, what is love? And our passage today answers that question in a way that is totally different from how the world understands it or not understand it. And today's passage teaches us, first, what love is, and second, how that love was revealed to us, and third, how we can know that love, and finally, what difference it makes towards us as believers. So first, John starts by unpacking the word love and what it means. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Here John calls the church my beloved and calls Christians to love one another. Now I think we're used to hearing this call that you have to love each other in today's society too. In a world where there's so much brokenness and division, we hear a constant call. What we need is love. We need to love each other. It's almost as though we can hear John Lennon in the background, right? All you need is love. You can almost hear that every day in the media. But if we turn our ears, not to John of Lennon, but John the Apostle here, we hear, we realize that there is something profoundly different that John is trying to articulate in our passage. When John admonishes the church to love one another, he's not adhering to sentimentality or emotionalism. He's not saying... Let's just forget about our differences and just love each other. Love is all we need. That's not what he's saying. Rather, what he's describing as love in our passage today has specific content and meaning. 
We tend to think of love as our emotion, how we feel love. Whether we feel loved or not, and it's all about our emotions. Our emotions tend to become our criteria of what love is. But in the Bible, love does not first originate from our heart. Where does love come from? Scripture tells us that starting point of love is not from us, but from God. Verse 7, for love is from God. And not only does love come from God in verse 7, but also verse 8 tells us, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. That is his essence. In answering the question, what is love, John has a concrete answer. That God is love. Love is God. And it is who he is. And we cannot mistake the starting point. When we make ourselves the starting point of love, when we make our emotions and feelings define what love is, we easily lose its true meaning. And we start trying to evaluate God through our emotional definition of love. And you know what happens when we do that? We shift from God is love to becoming love, or our understanding of love is God. We start projecting our meaning of love into who God is. We start saying things like, well, if God is love, He must surely close an eye to some sin. Or we start saying things like, if God is love, He surely will save everyone regardless of their faith. We have made God into the image of ourselves or our emotions. This is what the 19th century philosopher Ludwig Feuerbach claimed. He claimed that God is just a human projection. It's called a projection theory in the history of philosophy. That we just project. God is what we project. God is what we want us to be, our best version of us. But the truth is, it's the absolutely opposite. We don't come to know God through, from our experience or our emotions, but on the other hand, God made us in the image of Himself. It's not that we made God in our image, but God made us in His image. The God of creation reveals Himself to us through Scripture, and that is the only way we can know the true meaning of love. Not from our experiences to God, but from God to us. And because God revealed Himself as love, we can finally know the true meaning of love here revealed to us in Scripture. Now, how did God reveal His love to us? That's the content of this, the whole Scripture, actually, but this First John especially, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, John says. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the gospel, that God has sent His Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And John says, in this is love. This is what love is. To us in the 21st century, who has just lost the meaning of love, Scripture cries out, it's here. Love is right here. In this is love, that God who loved us so much sent His Son to be the propitiation, the punishment for our sins, that Jesus Christ came to us 
and bore our cross as payment of our sins. And this is how God revealed who He is, His eternal love to us. I had a friend in college who went to work as a volunteer to Thailand for the summer. And uh, she was working in this voluntary organization who built schools for kids. She went to help start a school there. And when her summer internship ended, she hopped onto the school bus and waved goodbye to the kids there. And she shouted out, Goodbye, we love you. And then that moment, she said that something struck her. That she realized, she's saying, I love you, but she's returning to Japan, a rich country, to her comfort, comfortable home. And then she's saying, I love you, and going back. She realized, if I really want to love these kids, I have to stay with them, I have to be with them, and I have to live with them. So after her internship ended, she ended up working in that organization, and now she still lives in Thailand with the children. God is not like someone far away in a distance on a school bus shouting, I love you, bye-bye, <laughs> from a distance that we can't even reach. No, He's someone who would come down to us to live with, with, with us, to dwell with us, to bear our pain to the extent of death on the cross. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, says John 3, 16, a famous passage in the Bible. And John defines love here not as an abstract emotion, but as something concretely revealed to us in the life and work of Jesus Christ, the content of the gospel. But you might ask, we live 2,000 years after the cross. How can we know the love of God today in our lives? John tells us next that there are two ways we can know the love of God. One is external and other is internal. How can we know the love of God? First, John points to the external witness, that God's love is displayed through Christian brotherly love, the way we love each other. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now, verse 11 might sound a bit strange. Notice it doesn't say, if God so loved us, we ought to love God back. That's what we would expect in this passage. But instead, John says, because God so loved us, we ought to love one another. John tells us that Christians loving one another is a proper response to the love that we have received from God. Because no one has ever seen God, we can't see God in person, not in this side of eternity, but what we can see visibly and tangibly is our love towards one another in the body of Christ. Just as John writes in verse 12, if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Christians loving one another is a public and tangible display of the love of God. My seminary professor, Dr. Van Fuser, once told us that the church is like a public theater. The church is a public theater that plays out or performs the gospel to the world. It publicly displays the love of God through the way that we worship, through the way that we love each other. Our Christian brotherly love is not rooted in our emotions, but on the concrete foundation 
of the love Jesus Christ displayed to us on the cross. So the love that we show towards one another becomes an external display and testimony to the love of God. And next, John points us to the internal witness, which is the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit, His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. God has given us the Holy Spirit as an internal witness of His love so that by this, by the Holy Spirit, we can know that we abide in God and God abides in us, that we are in God and He is in us. By the Spirit, we can testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. By the Holy Spirit, we can confess that Jesus, You are the true Lord. You are my Lord. Because as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that helps us, condemns our sins, and leads us to Christ. What is even greater is that the Holy Spirit not only enables us to know the love of God, but also leads us to confession and unites us to God. It is a bond. The Holy Spirit is the bond that unites us to Christ. Verse 15, if whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And also, did you notice that in the, passage that we, the passages that we have just read, God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and the Son, they all appear in these few passages. And this is no coincidence because God's act of love was the act of his Trinitarian love. The Father sent His Son, and the Son died for our sins, and the Spirit testifies to the Son and unites us to God. It is the work of the Trinity that God's love has been displayed to us. So when John tells us over and over in today's passage that we abide in God, it means we abide in the Trinity, the Trinitarian love of God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And also it is so important to realize that this abiding in God is not an individualistic abiding. We sometimes think of personal relationship with God as a literally a personal thing. Though I abide in God, you abide in your own God. Which is 100% true that we do actually have a personal relationship that we can talk to our Father, we can pray to our Father. But how does John describe our abiding? Verse 12 God abides in us. In verse 13, we abide in Him, and He in us. Brothers, we abide in the Trinitarian love of God together as brothers and sisters. It's not like we all abide in a personal Jesus. We all abide together as the body of Christ. And that was the metaphor that Jesus used in John 15 that He is the vine and we are the branches. We are all in Him together. Anyone who confessed Jesus as Lord are bound together by the Holy Spirit into God, united to Christ together. And this is how the external witness, our love towards each other, and our internal witness of the Holy Spirit, how those two connect. The Spirit internally witnesses us 
to Christ and internally unites us to Christ. And all of those who are united to Christ love each other and that becomes external display of the love of God. John summarizes this in verse 16. So if we know, if we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So by now, if we were following the logic of John, we can understand this often misunderstood phrase, the phrase, whoever abides in love, abides in God. Because that phrase can so easily be misunderstood as if you are loving, you are abiding in God. That all that's important is that you have love. But the phrase, whoever abides in love, does not mean whoever is loving or kind or gentle. Not the way that we define love. Because John is not talking about the worldly love or our emotion. But he's talking about love. His definition of love is Jesus Christ, the love that God has for us. Because John has clearly defined the biblical definition of love here as God's love revealed to us in Christ and his works, we can know that whoever abides in love here means not someone who is just loving or kind, but someone who abides in the Trinitarian work of the love of God revealed to us through Christ. Throughout this passage, John has taught us about what God's love is and how it was revealed to us and how we can know it through our loving each other and the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. And now finally, he turns to tell us why that matters. In other words, the effect of our abiding in God. He tells us two things. The first, abiding in God's love allows us confidence in the day of judgment. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Abiding in God's love gives us confidence in the day of judgment. As we abide in God through the Holy Spirit, and as we outwardly express that abiding through the way we love each other, God's love is perfected within us. Now, we have to be careful because this word perfected kind of sounds like we complete the love of God, which is not what this original Greek word means. It doesn't mean that God's love is imperfect and needs a little bit of perfection from our side. That's Roman Catholic theology. But the original Greek word translated as perfect has a sense of completion, kind of like mission accomplished. So we don't complete God's love, but God's love become complete in us. The subject is God's love, not us. And we see a dynamic movement of God's love being presented here. The outgoing of God's love manifested through the Son, which abides within us through the Holy Spirit. And that love of God continues to spread out towards the believers. And it becomes complete within us. And that love of God actively starts to move within us and his mission is completed within us. Not that we complete His love, but God completes His love within the way of the church and the way that we love each other. And when this active chain of love is working within us, God's love is completed within us and we can have confidence in the day of judgment. 
And this confidence casts out any doubt and fear. Verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and forever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, I grew up with very strict parents. My dad was a diplomat representing my country, so um, he always taught me you had to behave like you represent the whole country, which is like impossible for like a five-year kid. And we had a, a private jail in our house, in downstairs. Um, it was called prison, which was literally prison, because when we do something wrong, he, my dad would put us there for like an hour. And it was a terrifying experience. But uh, I always grew up thinking, my dad won't love me if I don't perform good enough. I was trying so hard to earn my parents' love. And I remember that I was constantly afraid that if I don't do good enough, they might not love me anymore. But John tells us, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And that is not, fear is not the love of God. God loves us so much that He wants us to be completely soaked in His love. He wants, to have, he wants us to have full assurance of His love. So if you believe Jesus to be your Savior but still feel insecure, about His love to you, if you feel you're not good enough as a Christian, please know that no one is. None of us is good enough to be a Christian because none of us merits the love of God. And yet, when we were yet still sinners, He loved us first. No one deserves the love of God. Our works are never a condition to earn the love of God, but it is a fitting response to it. Because our Christian walk is not a walk that is guided by fear, but a walk that is guided by love. And that was the revolutionary moment for Martin Luther, who was the founder of our Protestant faith, that when he was walking up the tower, he was thinking, oh, I have to be a better nun, that I have to perform better. He came to this realization that, no, it's the other way around. Because I am a sinner, that God loved me first. And second, John tells us, abiding in God's love leads to brotherly love. Abiding in God's love also leads us to love one another. In verses 19 to 21, John again reminds us of this inseparable connection between God's love to us and our God love, sorry, our love towards each other. God's love to us and our love towards each other. There's an inseparable connection. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now this sounds like a pretty strict commandment. Whoever loves God must love his brother. You might think, wait, if I have a Christian friend that I can't, I don't really like. Does that mean that I'm not a Christian? Well, to answer that shortly, no, because we have just seen that our confidence of salvation comes not through our works, but through God's love. Our good works will not get us to the love of God. But even though our good works will not get us to the love of God, the love of God will get us to good works. It's the other way around. 
And there are certain recognizable traits or characteristics that those who abide in God has. Now we have to understand that this must, you must love your brother, this must is not a conditional must. It's not a must in a sense of a condition where you must love your brother first to love God. It's not a condition, but it is a must of nature. Think of a fish in a water bowl. I mean, fish in the water. And the fish by nature must be in the water because that's what makes him live and that's what's most natural to a fish. But a fish being in the water is not a condition for the fish to be fish because if you take the fish out of the water bowl, it's still a fish. It doesn't become something else. Nevertheless, a fish must be in the water, not because it's a condition for him to be a fish, but it is what is most natural for the fish to be in. It is what gives it life. If we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, and if we abide in God's love, it is most natural. It is in our nature to love each other. That's what gives us life. Brothers, it is in our nature as Christians to love each other. Do you have someone in the church or some Christian brothers and sisters outside the church that you have, you feel difficulty in loving? And I don't want this to sound accusing because I also have Christian brothers and sisters who I have difficulty in loving that I have conflicts with, including my parents sometimes. And I know that there are reasons, most of the time very legitimate, good reasons, why we have difficulty in loving someone. You might have been hurt, misunderstood, or wrongly and badly treated. And God knows your pain and suffering, and He is there with you. Even as Christians, we are still sinners, and our love is imperfect. But God's love is perfect. And with that love, Jesus came to a world and died on the cross, not only for you, but for that brother or sister who you have a hard time loving. Jesus died for that person too. And did any face or name come up to mind when you read this verse that, oh, maybe God is talking about him or her? Jesus died for that person too. And he or she abides in God with you. We are all abiding together in God's love. And that is the reality of the body of Christ. So brothers, let us pray so that as those who abide in the love of God, that God will transform our hearts, that God will transform their hearts from pain and suffering to healing, from unwillingness to love to willingness to love from unforgiveness to forgiveness. And let us also pray that Fellowship Bible Church will be a public display of the love of God, that whoever comes in through that door Sunday morning will be able to encounter not the worldly love that has no content and meaning, but the love that has definite meaning in the life and cross of Christ. We live in an age where we have lost the meaning of love, where our emotions dictate who God is. That is why, as those who know the true meaning of love, the love God has revealed to us through His Son,
testified to us by the Holy Spirit, as those who abide in His triune love of God, let us all respond to His love and live it out by loving each other. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for inviting us to worship you today, this morning. And thank you for revealing your eternal love to us through your Son, through this Holy Scripture that we can understand who you are, what your love is, not by defining your love through our emotions, our finitude, our incomplete emotion of love, but through the way that you have displayed your love on the cross of Jesus Christ. We live in a world where love has lost its meaning. The meaning of love has been hijacked by sentimentality and emotionalism. But Lord, we want to love each other. We want to love others in a true way because we know what love really means. That true love is the love you have shown us through the cross, your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us so that we can manifest that. We can display your love in this world through the way that we love each other so that the world will see us differently. That our love is not rooted in our emotions, but in your love alone. Lord, help us if there are if there is anyone that we have a difficult time loving, please help us so that first, help us that we would want to love that person. And second, help us so that we can actually start to love, forgive, and extend love to those who we have a difficult time loving. Lord, there is so many pain in our lives, so much hurt, and you know all of that, Lord. So if there is any healing that is necessary, we pray that you will heal us of our past suffering, our pain, all those moments that we have been mistreated, all the misunderstandings that happened, all the conflicts. Lord, heal us so that we can love each other the way that you have loved us. Because you have loved us so much, we want to respond to you by loving each other in the body of Christ. Help us so that Fellowship Bible Church will be a public display of your trying you in God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.